This is episode 27 with Brendan Hansen. Welcome to The Athletic Mindset. I'm your host, Corey Camp, former Division I swimmer turned personal trainer and coach. Each week, it is my goal to bring you a unique story of an elite athlete's mindset to help you unlock and discover your life's potential. Today, I had the chance to sit down with one of the greatest breaststrokers of all time. Brendan has broken the world record on multiple occasions and has won a total of 25 international medals. Getting the chance to talk with Brendan was a truly full circle moment for me as I grew up watching him represent USA in the 2004, 2008, and 2012 games. He offers a great perspective for our current athletes, especially with those dealing with their seasons being uprooted with all that is happening right now. So without further ado, please welcome on Brendan. Hey, Brendan, how you doing? Oh, uh, well, interesting <laughs> times, brother. <laughs> interesting times. I know, a lot more free time on your hands uh, and mine as well, hopefully. Yeah, well, <laughs> I I, uh, I tend to be more dangerous when I have this free time than when I'm busy with a jammed up schedule, so that's I'm it. trying trying hard to stay out of trouble, man. <laughs> I think that's the, uh, a common trait among swimmers, because I'm the same yes. exact way. First thing I got for you, how'd you get started in swimming? Um, what was that like for you growing up? And when was there a point that you realized, okay, like swimming in college, Olympics, and all that was realistic? Um, so this is a super cookie cutter story about how I started in swimming. Actually not. Um, I think this is cool, man. I think this is how a lot of my interviews start up. Um, around this conversation and what's what's so neat about it and why you get asked it so much is because everybody's journey from uh, starting in swimming to getting to that, uh, you know, kind of elite level, Olympic level is all different. So it's always interesting to hear. Honestly, Corey, I started, I was one of three kids. I was the middle kid. I grew up in just outside of Philadelphia. My parents would go to the uh, the lakes and, and the, and the ocean in the summer times. And my parents were adamant about all three kids being water safe. So my mom, my mom at a young age, put us all us at a young age, put us all in the kind of a learn to swim program, community outreach, um, program and where we were taught, you know, basically how to roll on our back, all that kind of stuff. Right. But, um, that quickly turned into swim lessons, which quickly turned into summer league, which tends to be a, a smooth transition for, um, a lot of us. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what's funny for me is my brother fell in love with it before I did, um, love with it, meaning like a lot of his friends were in summer league. He was doing it a lot and all that stuff. I really wanted to do whatever my brother wanted to do three years older than me. I kind of idolized him. So that's kind of where I went. Um, but I, my mom said that I, I was at a, at a young age was extremely competitive um, and wanted to be in the race at every chance I possibly could. Um, th- that being said, I was not very good. Um, not very good, meaning um, probably had some form of ADHD, didn't, um, you know, didn't respond well to certain kinds of coaching. But my mom said, without a doubt, I, I thrived on the structure of organized youth sports and also um, loved the water. Like, it was my medium. And she said, you were just so happy when you were in there. But she said, I'll never forget the first coach telling me that Brendan's probably not going to be a very good swimmer, <laughs> <laughs> which is hilarious. Um, so that being said, kind of 
did summer league. Um, I, I think in summer league was where I, I fell in love with the the atmosphere, the competitiveness, and kind of uh, my first real friends. Right, um, I was a, kind of a pool rat in the in the summer league situation, always around the pool. Uh, loved the racing aspect of it, and um, never was really winning the race, but just loved that feeling of getting on the blocks and trying to touch the wall first. Um, <clears throat> and then it wasn't really till high school freshman freshman year where um i signed up for high school swimming um was also on the local club program team and uh swimming in that that and i was also playing other sports as well at the same time baseball was probably the other primary sport that i was playing at the time but to make a quick uh, a long story short High school was really where um, I kind of made the decision that I wanted to swim and I wanted to be competitive and I took it seriously. Um, I had a lot of older kids on my team and then also uh, competitive uh, other teams, other kids from other teams kind of telling me that I wasn't going to be good or I was not at that elite level or whatever. And I just I didn't like people telling me that I couldn't do something or be good at it. and you know that's a common theme with me as we go through this. You'll know that about me. <laughs> um, and so it's interesting because uh, it was really that—that's the trigger that really you, everybody wants to know. Like, how did you? Where was it coming from? Like a recreational fun sport to like I'm serious and I want to do this. It was when people were telling me I couldn't do it and, and be successful at it that I immediately went to my coaches and the better, faster team, faster kids on my team, and was like, "How do I become the best?" And became infatuated with it, and um, and then I started winning races my freshman year. I uh, went to high school state, and one of the kids that you know in a dual meet prior to that prior to that championship season was like, you know, in a sense, basically telling me I sucked or you know whatever. Um, touched him out for the state championship, and then basically won high school states and. Um, went on to get my junior national cut, my senior national cut. I mean, it just all of a sudden things started to click and I started to find this momentum off of uh, the energy, the negative energy of people around me telling me I couldn't do it. And then also realizing that if I just listened to my coaches and worked really hard in practice, all things would pan out. Um, that led to the 2000 Olympic trials, which is crazy because that was the third, um, that was the third national meet that I'd ever been to. Mm-hmm outside of anything local. Um, I remember getting prepared for that meet where I was reading like a swimming world magazine and, and telling my coach like, man, these guys that I'm going to be racing against are doing doubles. Like they're in college. Like, what do I do? <laughs> you probably should swim twice a day. <laughs> like that's how amateur I was. And so we did a little bit of that. And, um, you know, I, I really worked hard that summer to get to be, because I, I was like, I'm going to Australia. This is 2000, Sydney, Australia uh, mm-hmm. Olympics. And I was like, I'm going there, man. In my mind, that's what I was doing. Um, seated 30-something in the 100 breaststroke, 40th in the 200 breaststroke. And at the end of it, man, uh, finished third in both of my races by a couple hundredths of a second. It was heartbreaking. Um, but I really think, again, to give you that Brendan Hansen equation, um, I felt like... Uh, all I wanted after leaving that was wanting it more. And so leaving those 2000 Olympic trials is probably how I went on to become, you know, a 2004, 2008, 2012 Olympian. So again, I think, uh, in a drawn out thing started young, was not really, really got into it until probably high school. And, 
and then from there, uh, it was, I, I, I don't know, man, it was just, just, it was just a fun ride. Um, I never, I never really took it too seriously, but, um, I felt like if I was going to show up, I wanted to make sure that, um, people remembered racing against me. Oh, yeah. So it's kind of, that's how I did it. Yeah. That's a great approach. I mean, PA States is by no means a joke of a meet. That's one of the fastest state meets I feel like in the country. Uh, yeah, and at the time, I mean, here's the thing: is at the time, there was a guy I was racing against, Kyle Salyards, who was from Lancaster, Pennsylvania. That, um, that he ended up going to Georgia, and in that uh, 2000 Olympic trials, he touched me out to win the 200 breaststroke, so he made the Olympics. So in that, <laughs> in that <laughs> Olympic trials, you had two kids, young kids that were racing against each other at PA State. I mean, it was crazy. Like there was a lot of fast swimming going on. There still is, you know. I mean, it's still it's crazy to me when people go, man, what was that? some of the most competitive dragging races that you ever had? I mean, of course, NCAAs comes to the surface. Some of the trials comes to the surface. But, and I can remember some serious local summer league meets where it was like, you know, down the points and stuff like that. I mean, I think you can find that atmosphere that we all love in swimming at every level, which is really cool. And I don't think you can say that about all sports. I mean, I've been to every level of swimming than you can be to and i would if i had to say like what are my favorites it would be college and summer league mm-hmm. it's probably my favorite you know um the olympics are great don't get me wrong but they're stressful as hell <laughs> i think that's where everyone falls in love with at least with swimming i think that's when they initially fall in love with that sport is at that summer league like grassroots level um is that's where it all comes from that's where it starts yeah and that's why we, you know, we work really hard to transition those kids. But I mean, look, what's crazy is, is and what always amazes me is people that come up to me now, Corey, and say like, oh man, my kid's the next Brennan Hansen. You should see him. He's 10 years old. He's like the fastest breaststroker in the state. And I'm like, well, that was not Brennan Hansen at 10. <laughs> like, so, you know, like I, stop plotting, stop plotting your kid on where you think, uh, they are in relations to my career or Michael Phelps's or you know uh, Caleb Dressel's or whoever's because it's just that none of them are gonna are gonna be the same and I think the greatest line in that whole story I told you is that I made the decision at the age of you know 15 or 16 that this is what I wanted yeah and if, if you're gonna drink that Kool-Aid and you're gonna go down that route which you know is gonna be a lonely one at times when you're chasing a dream like the Olympics or being number one in the world um, you better it better be your decision, or else it ain't gonna happen. Yeah, or you know you're gonna you, uh, look. My parents were a support staff through and through, and everybody around me, coaching friends, teammates, and everything, eventually were the ones that you know knew what I wanted to do, knew it was my decision, and pushed me to it. And I don't. That was probably the healthiest part of that whole that whole story. I was about to say you got to be in it for you uh, first and foremost. Um, because when times get tough, obviously, as they're bound to, when your expectations, your goals are as lofty as they were, you know, it's it's not an easy route. And if you're not in it for yourself and it's someone else externally pushing you all the time, you're going to fall short, you know? Yeah. And look, I get it because I coached age group swimming for a while, um, almost six or seven years. Mm-hmm. And, you, and I understand the parents' perspective of, my kid has all this potential and I want what's best for my kid and I want to give him as much as I possibly can. I a hundred percent understand that. 
but like stay on the life side of it, not the competitive side of it. Mm-hmm. Like I think the sport of swimming, what I love about the sport of swimming is everything it taught me in respects to work ethic and accountability and time management, all life skills. And if parents just stay on that side of the conversation rather than staying on the, well, my kid has to win and they have to be at this competition. That's not the case. You know what I mean? Like, a, a, a kid can swim all the way through the sport and and swim to high school and be on their high school team and get the same life skills that I got and I went all the way to three Olympics. It's no different. But, yeah. You know where where we get in trouble and a little bit skewed is when parents and I'm, I'm I'm not. It's just where they 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 see the potential in their kid. Their kid's showing that they get being getting told that by people around them. And I get it. You want to give what's best for your kid. So do I. I've got three kids under seven, but at the same time. I want them to be good human beings out there in the world. I don't really care whether they become Olympians or not. That's that's their decision. That's first and foremost. And that's, I mean, I've been in the same boat coaching-wise for the past eight years or so, and it's it's a challenge um, to be realistic with some parents and, you know, handle that that parent side of things. And Something. again, there it's it comes from a, I, I used to tell myself, it comes from a place of love, right? Like, yeah. like they, they, they're doing it because they, and I'm fine with that. Like, I never had a problem working with somebody that cared too much. It was always hard for me to work with somebody that didn't care enough, mm-hmm. right? So I always would, like, combat a parent that came to me and was like, my kid needs this. I'm like, you're right. Let's work through this, but let's do it in a timely manner to do what's best for them. You know, like, that was the challenge that we had, whereas <clears throat> when I had parents that would never show up or they weren't even around or even their kid's life. And all of a sudden I feel like I'm more of a dad than they are. You know, that was more of a challenging uh, situation for me than anything else. Right. And, yeah. and you know, working as a coach, you just put how many hats do we have to put on <laughs> different times? Right. Like, yeah, it's crazy. Um, but again, I, I just feel, uh, I feel like at the end of the day, now that I'm being inducted into these hall of fames and I give speeches around it, I mean, I don't ever thank anybody but my support staff and the people that got me there, you mm-hmm. know, and those were my parents and my coaches and my teammates. Yeah. I want to loop back on, you said growing up, you know, mom might've diagnosed you as ADD and all that. And you said not really responding to certain coaching styles. What coaching style did you find eventually that worked best for you? <laughs> Structure, man. Okay. Like I had a coach that literally was like, there was an expectation. They knew what we what we were expected to do when we came in. Like you showed up, you grabbed your kickboard, and you knew the first ten minutes of workout was going to be kick, right? Like mm-hmm. I, I think every I I take this back, but I think a lot of boys under the age of ten respond really well to structure. I mean, I, if you work in youth sports long enough, the boy energy versus the girl energy is totally different, mm-hmm. right? And so I felt like I responded really well to structure, and I knew. Um, what my that what was expected of me for that hour in the water and you know my coach did a good job of handling the fact that hey you know what I've got seven or eight boys in this lane and there's a chance that three of them are going to be underwater while I'm trying to give the set <laughs> you know like <laughs> we've all yep. been there right um, so I, I responded really well to that I responded well to uh, to just there was a I knew what was expected of me. There was clear, definitive lines of what was expected of us that day. And I, I ended up having a very, uh, like, uh, permanent, per- pronounced, like, I mean, very just alpha male is what I had, mm-hmm. to be honest. 
and they were great. And they just, I mean, they, I was, I was great. And they had a great relationship with my parents and it was awesome. That's a good situation. And it sounds like they helped you develop that mindset of going into training, going into competitions. You mentioned in high school, you kind of had that shift. Um, did it matter? It was everywhere though, man. I think I was in Golston and I, I mean, my dad, my dad worked for, um, Verizon and he would, you know, he would get up at 4am every morning and, and he had a group of people that he managed, um, in the East coast. And I just, I, I was surrounded by people that worked their butt off. Um, so it was no different for me to do that. And I, I still believe that like as a parent or a guardian or anything like the easiest way to get your kids to get on board with what you're doing, or if you want them to do something, you got to do it yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, <clears throat> I think it's the same way for coaching. Like, it's always really hard for me to listen to a overweight, out of shape coach that's telling me I got to go harder <laughs> in the water. And I'm like, you're telling me <laughs> I got to go harder in the water. You know, like there's there's a level of like credibility in that in that conversation that I struggle with. I totally get that. I would I joke with my old um, age group coach from high school now. And I was like, Maneth, you have no idea how many times where you would tell me the set. And I'd like turn to my buddy and be like, yeah, I'd love to see Maneth do this one. Like, come <laughs> on, dude. <laughs> yeah. Like, are you sure? Yeah. Um, but it helps having that lead by example almost from the top down. Um, and those people in your life, that's for sure. What What was it about competition? I mean, you said at an early age you were drawn to it. Did that change? at any level whether it was you know a random tune-up meet or whether it be the olympic games you were blessed enough to compete in a, a couple of those what was that i guess competitive drive at that level it never really changed man like that's the that's i mean um the only time it changed was in 2008 when I felt like after 2004 coming off those Olympics and then training the next four years and then going to Beijing um, and maybe being 22, no, I was 20, what was I, 26, 25, 26, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I had this weird feeling of like I deserved the gold medal. Like I had, I had, I had checked every box. There's nobody there that had trained as hard as me. Um, so I was going to expect nothing less than touching the wall first and winning the gold medal. Um, and I think that skewed me away a little bit from, um, enjoying, or at least having a healthy perspective on competition. Whereas, you know, you take eight year old Brennan running from the snack bar with a bag of Skittles in his hand, trying to get on the ready bench before my call my lane one more time at a summer league meet, you know, like where I was just like, let's go get up on the blocks and just enjoy the pure racing aspect of, of the, of the sport. And I think it really hindered me, uh, from competing the way I wanted to in 2008 where, you know, I, and then you finished fourth in a hundred breaststroke and literally just like left my equipment bag, walked out in the corridor and I was like, I'm leaving this country. This is over. I'm done. You know? And if it wasn't for my brother, I probably wouldn't have swum the medley relay. Um, but it's crazy. Uh, how as you grow up that perspective or at least that competitiveness can change but the drive will never go away you know mm-hmm. and what's funny is is like I took two years off the sport in 09 and 2010 did triathlons and found that pure 
competitiveness back, and that's probably why I came back in 2011 and 12, which is a different perspective. Like, I appreciated workouts. I enjoyed everything. So, you know, I think the more you you go down that rabbit hole and you want to be the best, um, there's going to be uh, hurdles and whatnot. I'm sure if you read Elizabeth's book, you can see those yeah. same hurdles. If you listen to Amanda Beard, she can tell you those hurdles. Like every person has this roller coaster of a ride to get to where they were. For me, it was I was so competitive and and I trained so hard and my work ethic was there that you know it almost hindered me from like like being blinded by the love of the sport a little bit. You know, and it, uh, it was crazy in that sense. Yeah, I think it really takes everything in an athlete to convince yourself or ourselves that you're going to win going into races. You know, confidence is should be at an all-time high. But where I think, not downfall, but it's tough realization because in a sport like ours, it's like only one person can say they did that. And at the level that you're competing at, everyone there for the most part is thinking the same way. Um, it's tough when, you know, you did your best, but you don't get that result or ending up second or third or fourth, you know, whatever. How did you handle that bounce back? Was it just finding a, a new perspective on the sport? Yeah, and the perspective was around, honestly, um, it, became, it came full circle, mm-hmm. you know. I almost took on more of the summer league uh, race mentality as I came back in 2011 and 12 to swim my last two years going into those London games. Um, I, I changed the, it, it, came, it became less about winning and losing. And it wasn't like, uh, everybody gets a trophy and everybody wins and just try your best. Cause I don't, I don't really believe in all that. I do believe that I learned a lot more from failure than I did success in my career. Mm-hmm. And had I not had the bigger failures, then I probably wouldn't have been at the elite level that I was for as long as I was there. I think the perspective that I had, Corey, going into those last two years was I can't control what the other seven guys, swimmers, are going to do in that race. You mm-hmm. know, and I thought I could by working harder than them, them and, uh, you know, being more prepared and doing every little thing that I could. Like I did in 2008, I thought I could control what the rest of the group was doing by controlling my, my, my preparation for the race. Whereas my perspective totally changed going into 11 and 12, which was, I can't control what those people are going to do. But I'll tell you this, I can I can make sure that for the next 59 seconds of this 100 breaststroke final, they're going to remember racing me. Mm-hmm. You know, like I, I, that, that was not about winning and losing. It was about at least leaving an impact in the water at that moment that was going to, if you're going to beat me to win the gold medal in these games, you're going to have to swim harder than you ever did. And if you ask Cameron Benberg, um, he'll tell you like, Hey, who was in that race? He'd be like, Oh, Brennan Hansen was in that race. Like within three minutes of saying it, he'll say it. And I'm like, I didn't win the gold medal in that race. I won the bronze, mm-hmm. but it, it's my favorite medal of all time because, because of that, because I, I like, I, I came full circle, you know? And like I told you my entire, not until high school, my high school and my freshman year was the first time I ever won a race. So really my perspective through the whole thing was like, man, this is so much fun. I just love racing people. Even though I never touched the wall first, I was always just like, they're going to remember Like everybody knew me. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like they're like, Oh, Brennan, if I have to be Brennan, it's going to, you know, and there was stug kids, 10 year olds, 11 year olds, kids that were taller than me. You know, I grew late, all that stuff. 
So it was funny how that perspective when I was a little kid, which was just innate in, in me, my mom said I was just a competitive person, right? And I just wanted people to know, like recognize me that I was trying as hard as I could. Ultimately was how I came full circle in, in, in my last two years of swimming and competing. I think that's awesome. And I have to say, you know, growing up, I loved, I grew up, I was born in 95, grew up on the like 04 games, the 08 games were like me as an age group swimmer watching. Um, right. And it was, it, you know, it's one, it's surreal being able to talk to you right now. Um, but I loved watching like the rivalry and just the level of competition you had, especially with guys like Kitajima out there. Can you describe, I guess, what that was? that time in your life was like from your perspective? I mean, it was somewhat of a, it was somewhat of a blessing, honestly, to have somebody that was challenging me that far. I mean, <clears throat> whether he knew he was doing it or not, it was one of those things, Corey, where you'd wake up in the morning and be like, well, crap, he's already six hours ahead of me. So he's probably <laughs> already had his morning workout. So he's probably already killed the day and I haven't even started yet, mm -hmm. you know? And so that I would always have that mentality of like, he's he's pushing as hard as I am, if not harder, halfway around the world. And, you know, I think that's uh, one of the one of the things that kept fueling my fire and allowed me to keep pushing the limit and why between him and I, we rewrote the record books for almost a decade, right? Mm -hmm. But then you look and see these challenges that like Katie Ledecky has or Adam Peaty has where they're just so above and beyond ahead of everybody else. Um, I, I, was, I'm always, I always wonder how they they stay competitive and how they work towards those things, you know? Oh. And I'm like, because I had, I had somebody that I knew without a doubt was going to go in there and it was going to come down to the hundredth of a second. And it was like, who could time the last three strokes, mm -hmm. you know, cause we were that close. So <clears throat> it was, um, looking back on it, some of the conversations and the craziness is insane, right? Like, mm -hmm. uh, but in the moment, it was just, and it, it was like uh, a day's work, man. You just went in and tried to break the world record. But then, like, looking back on it, I'm like, that's not a normal conversation. <laughs> like, that's not normal to sit there and be like, wow, yeah, I think today I'm going to go break the world record. You know, I think I'm going to, and then, like, but in, in the moment, it was just what we did. Yeah. Um, I, I can remember playing spades with uh, Aaron Pearsall, Ian Crocker, and Michael Phelps in the village and just being like, okay, all right, dude, if you break the world record tonight, then that I'm going to have to go do it, you know? And like, we, like, these are like not normal conversations to have. Like, but in the moment we were just like, that's, that's the way we thought. And that was the way we did things. And, you know, when Michael made his run in Beijing, we were all like, holy crap, dude, if he's doing it, we can do it. We, we hang out with this guy all the time, you know? And so, yeah, I think it heightened everybody's response, but yeah, I I, I firmly believe that um, Kitajima was one of the reasons that I I, I, w I was able to stay at that level for that long. Mm -hmm. I really do. I was about to say, I mean, what you were able to string together is pretty unprecedented um, for a lot of athletes in the sport. It's rare that you get the two-time Olympian let alone a three-time. Um, it's a very, very f selective group, I think, that you're a part but, of. I mean, look, man, I, <laughs> to, tell you, to tell you how, like, it came down to details, I've lived in Austin for 20 years, and I can tell you every single place I was, where I was and what I was eating, 
or where I was hanging out when my agent or my dad or somebody called me to tell me that Kitajima broke the world record. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it was, like, again, but like that rivalry, people loved it and I loved it and so did he. And like there was a mutual respect. Me, him and I never had a conversation outside of good luck and nice swim. Yeah. But there was a mutual respect that I think, um, you know, breaststrokers now that are competing still talk about. I was about to say, you know, I wasn't a breaststroker. It was my worst stroke. But um, still, as a kid in age group swimming at the time, it was, you know, I lived off that stuff. It was, that was inspiring to me to watch. And it was like, whether it was going on Swim Swim or you got that Swimming World magazine. And it was like, oh my God, I can't believe, like, it was broken again (laughs) and just kept going, kept going. Um, Were there any mental strategies that you were able to put in or came about as you approached that allowed you to be successful for as long as you were? Um, I think you, well, one, I surrounded myself with people that were better than me. Mm -hmm. I mean, a lot of times you see these people when they get really good, they don't want to be challenged. Um, on a daily basis, but I found that if I surrounded myself with people that were way more talented than me and were going to push me, that um, it was like iron sharpening iron, right? And I was always trying to find ways to get better, which um, was not a fun environment to be in, to be honest. Um, It was extremely competitive. There was a lot of days I got my butt handed to me. Like, it just, it wasn't, it wasn't easy. Um, but I knew that again, if I was, if I didn't, if I just kind of sugarcoated training and everything else and there, I, they immediately made me beatable and I didn't want that. Second, um, I, I really did a nice job of, and I, I don't know if I, I always did this or I just, I don't know. I'm, I mean, I, I would probably say that I've done this for a long time, maybe like even in my teens where I just would put something either around me or something daily to where I would see it and it would immediately remind me why I was doing what I did. Like I never, you ask me like mental things, like I never lost sight of my why. Mm-hmm. Like I always knew why I was getting up, why I was sacrificing time with my friends, why I wasn't going on vacation, why, you know, I, I was uh, eating 6,000 calories a day. Like why, I, you know, like there was, I never, again, it, it may have been just a photo. It may have been um, a, 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 a one-liner from a national team coach, or it was just taking a dry erase marker on my mirror where I would brush my teeth every morning and see a, a world record time that Kitajima posted or, you know, something. But it was just like those things would just like, they were a little cues throughout the day to be like, hey, man, just FYI, remember what you're doing and why you're doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was, I was always uh, pretty good about that. Um, also, I always felt like if I, uh, one of the other things I did was I never, it was never about me. Mm-hmm. Um, I talked about surrounding myself with the right people. Um, I always tried to make the people around me better, um, which ultimately was why people thought I was going to be a, a great coach and continue to go down the coaching route. But like, I always found that if I pushed the people around me in practice, that were better than me that ultimately my level at least what i found was the common denominator was my level of energy and effort in practice was always higher and better than i thought it was like we, we we tend to like the more you make this approach and you fine-tune it and like i said you you go after this stuff it is a lonely road but if you find yourself like pushing the people around you 
it autom- automatically like def- it, def- it heightens your senses to of of effort and practice and and that consistency that you need to be successful at that level. So, I mean, those are the three things that I worked on, man. I I tried to make the people around me better. Those people were better than me, and then I always had these little cues around me all day to just to continue to make sure that I remember why I was doing what I was doing. Because honestly, man, sometimes like that crap's crazy. <laughs> like, some of the stuff we do to, to be that way is insane. It's insane. Yeah, I think it's great. It keeps you grounded in a why. Uh, I think that's a huge part of what people need to do more of. And would you say kind of the culture at, you know, UT Austin was what allowed a lot of your success as well? Because, I mean, obviously Eddie Reese has done a historical job of bringing together those ultra competitors like yourself to field these historically great program teams you think that played a huge factor yeah i mean you're just you're basically giving me a softball question (laughs) (laughs) well yeah look man no hey so the like the winningest coach of all time did he help you at all with this did it it help (laughs) even a little bit no i get it i get it i'm not i'm not i'm just it's funny because uh everybody wants to know what the secret sauce is right like we continue to put people on the olympic team and and what <clears throat> these coaches are how they are become these outliers. Eddie facilitated that environment. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he it was never about him talking down to his athletes. He would make sure that his athletes were pushing each other, right? To where it almost looked like he was coaching less, but he was coaching in an indirect way. To where he was like, I'm gonna I want to make sure Brennan's getting the most out of Aaron, and Aaron's getting the most out of Ian, and Ian's getting the most out of Gary Webergale, and Gary Webergale's getting the most out of Neil Walker, and it was just like, you know, it was insane how that all played out. So, you know, he did a great job of facilitating that energy across the whole group, and even though not one of us swam the same event, it didn't matter. And so, um, yeah, I think the best coaches in that environment 100% facilitated a lot of my own behavior, but it also, I mean, it was his way of it. Um, was teaching us to be the best in the world. Mm-hmm. I think, um, and, and it's funny because everybody goes right to the granulator. What did you do in practice? What did you, you know, <laughs> how much breaststroke did you do? What did you, and I'm like, that's not, <laughs> whether I did eight 200s long course on 245 or if I did one 200 on 230, it didn't matter. It was more about the fact of the, like when you come on, there's a sense of feeling when you come on our pool deck when you were just like, holy crap, the energy right now. Like Eddie could just walk off the pool deck, give us a workout, and we were just going to try to. We were going to either go so hard that he had to adjust the workout, or he, there there was times where we would just tell ourselves, "How hard can we go to where he would tell us to slow down?" Like that was a good day. If he was like, "Hey guys, look, we got to slow down. This is way too hard. This isn't what I wanted you to do." And we were like, "Yeah, we got him." <laughs> That's it's a, a sick job. mindset. It's a sick <laughs> mindset, but it's like you want to talk about one percent. You wanted a, you wanted a window into that world. That's that window, man. No, that's, I mean, that's awesome. And there's a reason I feel like news outlets like Swim Swam still highlight, you know, the um, preseason um, meat from UT. The, what is it? The orange white meat? Um, yeah. Where like, or the Eddie Reese invite or anything like yeah, that. Yeah. Like yeah. where kind of uncommon things are pretty commonplace, whether it's an NC2A record going down or, you know, just absurd times for that time of year. Um, it's it's been a fun window to watch or look into it and be an observer of. That's for sure. Look, and it's a culture, mm-hmm. you know. I mean, it's it's uh, again. I think 
it was one of those things where it, it, you take that mentality of whether I win the race or lose the race, it doesn't matter. I just want to make sure that people remember racing against me. Like I never wanted to show up to a workout and people not know that I was in the workout, mm-hmm. you know? Like, and I think that's still instilled in the guys that train there now is like, man, they still talk about the stories of, you know, guys that are training five, six, seven years ago, eight years ago, where they're just like, man, that's, uh, we heard that you were just a baller in workout and that you were just like, you know, and they make these stories up. Like, we heard you throw kickboards at people. And I'm like, and of course, I'm not going to say no. I'm just like, oh, yeah, dude, I was just a beast. You know, <laughs> you just, you make up, you make up that stuff. And they, they but again, it's, it, you, you instill that culture of excellence and that expectation. It's all structure, man. It all goes back to, again, you asked me in the beginning of this interview what it was like when, how did I thrive? I thrived on structure and I thrived on, there was an expectation that I had to meet in practice. And if I knew what that was, never lost sight of my why and I never lost sight of the what the, the overall goal was mm-hmm. I think what's also really you brought up a really interesting point a few minutes ago of people were always like what did you do at practice like what was that set that you did <laughs> that that made you you know an Olympian or a world record holder like there's got to be one set that you did and it's really it's not i think it's it's all it's all it, what you're touching on is which is funny because you you touched on like the mentality like what's yeah. the pers- what, what is my perception right i remember walking into eddie's office saying hey i, I want you to give me a set you don't think i can finish <laughs> i knew that if, if he if i could do that set that eddie reese didn't think i could and eddie reese was always one or two steps ahead of me mm-hmm. right he was always he was always forward thinking thinking okay if Brennan wants to go 59 low in the 100 breaststroke or meter breaststroke this summer, I'm going to try and get him to go 58.8, right? Like, that's the way he thought, which mm-hmm. obviously you want your coach thinking that way, right? Um, but I thought if I could do a set that he didn't think I could do, the amount of confidence that I would come out of that workout with, like, there wasn't a single person in the world that could touch me, right? He gave me a set, and I did it three times, and I failed all three times until I think the fourth time. And then when I did the fourth time, um, you know, it was, it was a big deal. And I think within six months I broke the world record and both, I think it was right before 2006 summer and I broke the world record three times in in <laughs> like two, two weeks or something like that. And what's funny is, is like that story is still there and Will Lacone did it, did that set like two or three years after I did. Of course he did it in the first, the first time he did it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But like that's that's the kind of that's the competitiveness that you need to have on a daily basis if you want to be good when the cards are stacked against you. You know, like when you get up there for that race in the you know you don't you don't you know you get up there and every four years and you stand up there and somebody tells you to go and you have to try to be the best in the world. It's crazy, man. Yeah, I think the best... Uh, you want to know how to keep it together? You better think like that on a daily basis. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, man. Yeah, I think the best coaches are able to get that out of their swimmers and one, set that expectation that almost are, are higher than any athlete has of themselves. But then the real great ones have that game plan in place to like kind of guide you to opening up your mind and being like, hey, my goal, unrealistic goal for you is actually reality. And they kind of open your eyes to that, you know? Yeah. <clears throat> I just know that it's a sick way to live, man. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah. I mean, and, and 
outside looking in, you're like, man, y'all are nuts. But in the moment, it's just, it was exactly where I wanted to be and exactly around the people I wanted to be with. And it was fun as heck, man. We just had a blast. Mm-hmm. That's a mutual understanding, I feel like, of people with your background. Uh, they know what it, it what goes into what you did and all that you accomplished. And now that swimming, you can truly look back on swimming. What would you say was the favorite part of your career? Whether a meet, a swim, um, what would you say was your, the highlight in your eyes? It's funny. I was thinking about that when you were saying, asking the question. The first thing I would say would probably be the people mm-hmm. because that's all you can really take with you in the end, right? Like all, uh, the community of people, like my relationships with my teammates and stuff like that are really strong. And <clears throat> it's like we cannot talk for six months and then catch up at a, at a USA swimming event or something and all of a sudden we're back to – you know, in training camp and telling stories or whatever, and it, we can go right back to that. But I think what I love the most is like the hard work and watching it pay off is probably what I like the most um, because the the just the raw situation of what you put into it is what you're going to get out of it that this sport gives you is mm-hmm. um, is an accountability that you just have to swallow at such a young age, man. And, like, it, there's no way, like, I think the just, again, the raw aspect of, like, you being on the blocks and that clock telling you whether you're good or not and nobody else having a factor in that, there's just a level of accountability that you just have to handle, man. And I, I think I fell in love with that because I am not a control freak, but I love the fact that I could control that, you know, and that I could work every day to make sure that I got that done. I think that's huge because the only at the end of the day in a sport that's time based like ours or track or field, the only thing you can control is the time that you put together, that performance that you put together. That's totally within your control. Whatever yeah, else does isn't. But look, man, I can't tell you how many times I like put my hand in my head and was just like, that doesn't make sense. Like <laughs> I don't understand how that didn't play out the way I wanted to. You know, and it wasn't until you know, a little bit later to where it all came together. But, mm-hmm. you know, that, <clears throat> that delayed gratification and that like, just, just going back to the grindstone and figuring it out and working towards it, I think it's just, it makes you almost bulletproof. Um, if you approach the real world the right way. Well, speaking of the real world, obviously you've, you've made that transition since 2012 to now. How has that transition been? You told me a little bit about what you were doing. Um, but what's your current role for those listening out there with USA Swimming? It is awful. It was like the hardest transition ever. Like, and I'm not going to sugarcoat it for you because I've just had too many of my friends and too many people come up to me and be like, man, you just seem like you're killing it and you're doing great. And it's just, it's the most challenging, hardest time. You go from being number one in the world for a decade and then you go, go into the real world and it's just like, oh, you, you have no leverage. You, you have... You do have, like, good contacts and people to connect with, but you're really trying to, like, reinvent yourself. And you're trying to do it in a competitive manner that you've literally approached the rest of your life for the last decade, right? Mm-hmm. It's imp- it's really challenging. And then plus you're just like, I don't, know if I'm, I don't know if I'm as passionate about this, this new job or this new opportunity as I was as I was chasing the Olympics. So your, your scale of 
that you're measuring every decision you make in the real world is based off of this skewed, crazy, competitive, you know, like market that you're like, you're sitting there going like, do I really want to start my own business? Like, do I really want to go that route? Like, is that what I need to do? Am I, you know, you second guess everything. It's extremely challenging. Mm -hmm. And I think, and, and, and I think the greatest thing I did and it took me, Honestly, what is it, 2020, it took me eight years to figure this out. And when I talk to my friends now or people that are in this transition, and I'll probably talk to a lot of them after this summer when a lot of them decide not to swim past 2020 trials, is you have to chase the people that are going to make you better than you thought you could be. It doesn't matter whether you're slinging snow cones or you're you know, booking bands for a concert or you're teaching swim lessons or whatever your job is, but you better enjoy the people you do it with because that's how you're going to be successful in what you do. The rest of it will all play out. But what I, what I struggled with was I was making a lot of money while I was swimming. So when I got out of the sport, I was like, I got to make a lot of money. That's what, that's how I'm going to be successful. Corey, I'm going to make a lot of money. And then, oh, by the way, I'm going to chase the title because you know, I chased. I tried to be an Olympian. I wanted the highest title. So yeah, now I want to be VP of operations, or I want to be the president or CEO. That's what I got to chase is the title. And so I did that. And all I found myself is is around people that I didn't like and around situations that I didn't feel comfortable. And I wasn't passionate about what I was doing. And it wasn't until this USA Swimming job came up where I was like, I like these people. I want to follow these people. You know, the same way I went on my recruiting trip to Texas where I was like, I like these people. I want to follow these people. Mm -hmm. (laughs) They're going to make me an Olympian. Like when I get around the executive team at USA Swimming and I get around Tim Henchy and Shayna Ferguson and Eric Skolba and uh, Joel Shonofield, I get around these people. I'm like, these people are going to make this organization better. These people are going to make me better. That's what fires me up, you know? And and I think that's what... um, that is the common denominator amongst people that come out of the competitive swimming world or any sport world they need to look for, mm-hmm. you know? And I think that's what, that's why I feel so um, excited about my new position, which I started in May. I'm the director of team services. So I'm an under sports development in USA swimming where um, I, I work specifically with, you know, all of our 3,900 clubs that we have nationwide around, you know, making sure that, our, our focus is on, from the performance side, our focus is on 2028. Are we, are we supporting and helping those kids that are 11 to 14 years old right now that are going to potentially be our Olympians in L.A.? Mm-hmm. The first time that the Olympics have been in the U.S. soil since Atlanta in 96. That's awesome, dude. Like, that's, a bad, that's so awesome to be a part of right now. And then from the program standpoint, it's like, do we have healthy clubs? Do we have healthy coaches? Do we ha- are we supporting our clubs and coaches that way? And then again, to be a part of a group of people that are as fired up about it as I am, heck yeah, man, this is awesome. Well, I'm happy you found, I mean, obviously it took some time, but it sounds like you are, like we said earlier, you're not settling in, you're not settling for anything, but you're you're adjusting to this role and seem to be liking it more than the things that you were doing. So it's good to know that that transition for those people out there that might be going through that or have that on the, the verge, whether it's the summer, it's there and you know, they have other people to talk to and, and hear from that it's not just them going through it. And I think 
I think that transition is for anyone coming out of college, mm-hmm. right? They look at it like, do I go back to school? Do I go get an internship? You know, am I going to enter enter into this job, which is I'm going up against two thousand other people that have the same degree, same situation, same backing. What what is going to make me different? How am I going to stand out? And I think if you walk in there and you just say, man, I want to be with the best people that are, are working towards being the best at what they do, because I know I can make my teammates and people better, which is, again, back to the same mentality that I had at Texas when I would walk on the pool deck. Like, I am going to try to make everybody else in the water for the next two hours better than they thought they could be. That's a de- That separates you from everybody else, man. Mm-hmm. Like, and, 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 and that is going to help you in that transition. And you're going to find yourself with the right people that are ultimately going to fuel your passion and excitement. Yes. It's it's, honestly, man, you have to be patient. I mean, and I'm not a patient person around this. I mean, I I literally, my wife can tell you like for the last eight years, been walking around going, is this really what I should be doing? Can I really be going down this road? You know, I struggled with every decision I made. Um, But I just, in the last like, you know, six to eight months, I found leverage, I found passion, and I found my excitement, and it was around that mentality. So I'm really glad I had the opportunity today to kind of share that because it's been a realization that I've had over the last you know, eight months, which is a big deal for me. Mm-hmm. That's huge. And something that's actually pretty timely is what, I guess, advice do you have for those people that you know might be NCAA seniors right now? And obviously with what's going on in the world, the coronavirus and all that, they had kind of that last championship meet you know taken from them do you have any word of advice from that perspective to those people um you know i think yeah i I, honestly i think it's not going to make sense so stop trying to make sense of it Mm -hmm. you know i think that is life in a nutshell and life is bigger than sport it's bigger than anything that you work towards, and and it's ne- and sometimes it's not going to make sense. It's not. I mean, I learned I learned that firsthand when my first kid came into the world, and I was like, "Wow, this is it's not about me anymore." And and I I wish I had had that perspective when I competed, mm-hmm. you know, to where I was like, I, I I could care less about me, and all I care about is this little human being that we just brought into the world. And I think. Right now, with these seniors that are looking back on this, their career, like it isn't going to make sense right now. So don't try to make sense of it. You know, don't make it a crutch. Don't make it anything. But just try to find the silver lining in. How can I leave the organization, the university, and everything better than I left than I than I when I got there? Because I think the effect you have on other people is the greatest impact and currency that we have in this world. Right. So. If you're looking at it like I don't have the opportunity to compete in this meet and it's not going the way I wanted it to go and I should have had that opportunity, I 100% agree with you. But that's you looking in the mirror going, well, it's about me. But I'm just telling you right now, that's not what I look back on. Like, while I'm almost 10 years removed from my last – no, I'm not. Holy crap. I'm 16 years <laughs> removed from my last from my last NCAAs, man. Yeah. And I don't, I don't look at that as, as if I, when I go to the International Swimming Hall of Fame and they get me, ask me to come up and talk about it, I'm not going to talk about my senior year NCAAs. What I'm going to talk about is my friends and the people and how I impacted those people and my friends and how I changed and how the University of Texas is different because I attended it. Those are the, all the things that the, these, these seniors need to be thinking about. 
they need to not think about the, I get it, it hurts, it's a one-time opportunity that you could have closed the door, but it, it doesn't make sense why we don't have it, so don't deal with it. But look at the bigger picture, because I'm telling you, in 16 years, if you're me, looking back on it, my senior NCAAs don't really matter. What really matters is how I left the organization and the people that I got to impact while I was there. Yeah, what matters? If, if I can just tell you that that's the perception you're going to have in the end, it's fine. You're yeah. fine. What matters is they're still telling stories about you, you know, 16 years later <laughs> or whatever it is. Um, my dad's been a coach for over 40 years with uh, a club team. Uh, called RMSC, and he's always told me, you know, when it's all said and done, it's not, you won't really, eventually you won't remember times, you know, all the times or all the meets, but you'll remember the people that you met along the way and kind of the impact that you're able to have on them. So that's what's truly important about this sport or whatever sport you play. That's what really matters. It's a good perspective, man. Your dad's a smart guy. (laughs) I try to listen. I mean, to look, <laughs> I'm just telling you what my what what it all taught me, right? Uh-huh. Like all these things, like because in the moment, I remember sitting on the gro- grocery store floor in Omaha. No, it wasn't in Omaha, in Indianapolis in 2000, 18 years old. After finals, my dad's like, "Hey, let's go get some food. We'll get out of here." I just finished third in the 200 breaststroke by two one hundredths of a second. I'm not going to Sydney, Australia. And I remember like breaking down, not emotionally, but just like physically, because mm-hmm. I was so exhausted. And my dad looking at me as I'm sitting in the cereal aisle, sitting on the ground, just being like, Dad, it doesn't make sense, man. I don't understand. Like I did everything my coach told me to do. I worked harder than I ever have before. And I know I was better than those guys, but why did I get third? And that, and that was, you know, that those, those are hard pills to swallow at the age of 18. But what's funny is 2012, I'm sitting in a press conference with all the people and they asked me, Brennan, what was the turning point in your career? Looking back on the, your entire career, what was the one thing that you could say is like the reason that you made this, this push that you did in the sport? And I said, had I, if, if I could go back to the 2000 Olympic trials and get second or first and make those Olympics, you would not be looking at a three-time Olympian and a six-time Olympic medalist and a you know twenty-four whatever all the accolades and all the crap that people remember, right? Google yeah. it. I don't care. <laughs> you wouldn't. You wouldn't have that, man. So that's why I think it's so important that you you enjoy the experiences, whether they're successful or not. Like not being allowed to swim your senior year of NCAA's is teaching you something, whether you like it or not. You know, life is kicking you right now and it's kicking you down it's not going to make sense it's not you know i can't make sense of it but i'll tell you this like i'm not i I, i'm trying to find the silver lining in it i'm trying to work harder i'm trying to bring my team together i'm trying to find ways to support our clubs in a way that benefit us Mm -hmm. you know spent all morning talking about that with my team at usa swimming i was about to say you're in a unique position with them to i mean that's a real problem that you have to deal with now as well. Yeah. Um, your work's cut but out I think, for you. I <laughs> think my reaction to situations like this now, I wouldn't say are better. Mm-hmm. They're just, okay. Okay, life is kicking us down right now. we got to figure out how to get on it, you know? And I appreciate that perspective that I have because of the experiences I had through the sport of swimming. Yeah, it's Again, a- nothing to do with medals, nothing to do with records, 
Nothing to do with an Olympic experience. None of it. It sounds like every part of your career, ups, downs, obviously has allowed you to develop that perspective. When you hear the athletic mindset or an athletic mindset, what would you, if you could sum that up, what does that mean to you? Athletic mindset, work ethic. I think there needs to be a level of vulnerability. I believe in that. Leadership, those two things, in my opinion, go hand in hand. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, because I think the athletic mindset is somebody that if you think you know everything, you're beatable. The athletic mindset, in my opinion, should be somebody that is continually trying to educate themselves and get better at what they're doing. I think that's really well said. I think coachability is a very underrated characteristic in a lot of people. I don't care, Corey, <laughs> if the janitor walked by me and said, hey, you need to point your toes on your pullout. I was listening <laughs> to that person. Yeah. Stop. I think, I think my biggest fear was not was, was thinking I had figured everything out or swimming the perfect race mm-hmm. because then I felt like I'd be stuck yeah I mean that's a tough realization or a tough point for any athlete I feel like um, you're constantly trying to find that perfection um, whatever the event is you know yep uh, well, Brendan, I want to just acknowledge you for obviously all that you've done in your career to the sport of swimming, to people like myself a few years behind you and the inspiration you've been able to provide people. And thank you for taking the time for sharing that story. Where can these people kind of keep up with you and everything that you're doing <laughs> in life now? Man, I don't know. Get on the train. No, I'm kidding. Um, I, I would say like my, my social media outlets are good, but I, I, I'm just so busy that I never really post on them, man. But I'm on I'm on Instagram at, at Brendan Hansen, um, and that's probably the only place I really am. But okay. really, if you want if you want to follow anything, I, I'm uh, usually through USA Swimming and things like that of that nature. But I'm just not very good at the social media aspect of things. But if you follow USA Swimming and kind of the team services stuff, that's probably where you're going to find most of most of my information and what I've got going on. I just, um, man, I, I, it was funny. You started this whole conversation talking about when I was a little kid, and I just remember as a, as a kid growing up, my parents telling me, hey, you're going to leave a place better than when you found it, whether you like it or not. And, and I think um, that's the only thing I've ever tried. I never forgot that, and I've always tried to do that. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a good perspective for anyone, athlete, not, coach, you know, club leader, whatever it may be, like just leave a place better than when you found it. And um, I've tried to do that my whole career and it's, it's worked out for me up to this point. And it's, it's definitely challenged me in ways that I'll never forget. So Corey, I appreciate the time, man. It was, it was good. It was good to chat and go down memory lane a little bit. I hope you all enjoyed that conversation with Brendan. He spoke a lot about championship culture and surrounding himself with the best something we should all strive to do more of. If you haven't done so already, send this episode to a friend, family member, or teammate who could use that extra boost. Stay up to date with all of our latest episodes by following me on Instagram at Athletic Mindset Podcast. And remember, if you can change your mindset and how you think, 
you'll be able to change your life one thought at a time. I'll see you all next week.